light of infinite. When I can't sleep, I often free verse wax poetic about whatever's on my mind. It's always interesting reading it the next morning. Here's one from the other night. The world is full of enough dissonance. Produce melody, perform alchemy. Sift the good notes from the bad, the serene from the siren song. Step in rhythm, grow in concert. We are all notes in this divine orchestra. It seems we all want to be one with our natural state and the spaces we are in. Content, fulfilled, thriving, that would seem to be enough. But the truth is, we want more than that. We want to transcend this natural state. Not to be bound by the limitations and constrictions of this world. A world where the good is always intertwined with a bit of bad. Only in the next world is good 100%, and bad is not even a concept. When I was a kid, and even today, after I walk out of the theater, after seeing a superhero movie, I feel like I have those powers, if only for a little bit. The allure of these comic books turned into movies is a thought of breaking free of our own limitations, of ridding oneself of reality, and of turning what is natural into supernatural. In these past parshiot, these Torah portions, we've been reading about the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and how Hashem commanded Aaron, the high priest, and his sons to bring special sacrifices for seven days to prepare themselves for the service in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. Every seven days, Moshe would take the Mishkan apart and put it back together, as the Jews wandered through the desert on their way to the Promised Land. In this week's parasha, Shmini, Hebrew for eight, referring to the eighth day following the seven days of the inauguration of the tabernacle, we learn that the service of the Mishkan actually begins on the eighth day. As we read, and it was on the eighth day, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and the fire went forth from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fats upon the altar. And all the people saw, sang praises, and fell upon their faces. The Kliyakar, a preeminent medieval Torah scholar, asks why it's called the eighth day. The Jewish week is seven days, and the consecration of the Mishkan was limited to seven days, as it's written, And you shall not go out of the door of the tent of meetings for seven days, until the days of your consecration be fulfilled, for he shall consecrate you seven days. The Kli Yakar answers his own question, stating that related to the eighth day, it's written, Today the Lord appears to you. Hashem doesn't appear in the Mishkan during the seven days of the consecration, but on and because of the eighth day, a day beyond the natural order of things. Seven is a recurring number in the Torah, representing natural order. Seven days of the week, the months of the festivals is Tishrei, the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar, and we have seven-year cycles culminating in Shemitah, the sabbatical year. As we learn, seven in Judaism always represents completeness of the natural world, the finite world. So eight, of course, is the one step beyond nature, something more than human, more than finitude, something holy. Shabbat, the seventh day of the week, is a taste of the infinite, but is still bound in time and space. It's a gift from Hashem that we even get this taste, as it's stated in Talmud Shabbat. The Holy One, blessed be He, said to Moshe, I have a precious gift in my treasure house, and it's called the Shabbat. The eighth day represents a taste beyond this world. Eight also brings to mind the ancient ritual of the Brit Milah, circumcision, Avram's original covenant with Hashem, which happens on the eighth day, representing the commitment of his life to something beyond nature, a covenant with Hashem, with the Almighty. One can ask, if it's a sign of our covenant with Hashem, then why would we not be born with it? The answer is because it's our job to take a physical action and create the covenant, a partnership literally seen on the body we have taken part in and taken personal action towards. The Arizal teaches that this is part of Adam and Eve's primordial sin, and the constant battle we are always forced into as humans, always torn between opposing physical and spiritual inclinations. 
So much so that it's also the one organ that can bring the potential of the divine feminine into creation itself. So the Brit Milah acts as a reminder to not get stuck connecting only to the physical impulses and to continue seeking connection to the infinite. To emphasize his point of seven being bound by nature in this world and eight representing that which is above nature in the next world, the Kliyakar says, commenting on the Talmud, that the harp that was played in the original sanctuary had seven strings, but the harp that will be played in the temple of the Messianic era will have eight strings. But we can dig even deeper into the Kliyakar's question and answer. His real question is, if eight represents unity with God on a supernatural level, how could the eighth day have any connection to the seven days prior, which take place purely in the natural world? The phrase the eighth day implies a continuation of the previous seven days. So how do we bridge that gap between the natural and the supernatural? How can we move from seven to eight? The answer that the Lubavitcher Rebbe gives is simple and profound. Supernatural revelation depends on human efforts. Hashem designed his world that way. The messianic age will be brought on only by humans revealing and serving Hashem in this world. It's those acts that we take in our seven days of natural time and space that will bring about the divine response of the eighth day, the infinite, the Mashiach. The highest levels of holiness is only made possible by our physical acts of spirituality. So it's called the eighth day, not because it naturally follows seven, but because if we use those seven days to draw close to Hashem, the eighth day becomes the day of the Shekhinah, divine grace. This lesson is for us to do all we can in this natural and finite world in order for Hashem to bless our efforts with His infinite being and those blessings. The counting of the Omer is a seven-week period, seven weeks of seven days. It's written, And you shall count for yourself from the day after the festival rest, from the day you will bring before me the Omer sacrifice, seven full weeks shall they be. Until the day after the seven full weeks, Shavuot, shall you count fifty days, and then shall you bring a new offering to me. Here we see another odd jump in numbers. The Torah commands us to count for 50 days, but also commands us to count seven weeks, which only adds up to 49 days. But much like the eighth day, brought on by our seven days of spiritual work, consecrating the Mishkan, the 50th day of the Omer is that taste of the infinite that we get on Shavuot, the holiday that commemorates and recreates our receiving the Torah directly from Hashem on Mount Sinai. The 50th day of high holiness is only made possible by the 49 days of spiritual work that we do in the counting of the Omer. As we touched on last week, the Kabbalah teaches that Shavuot, the 50th day of the Omer, correlates to the 50th gate of wisdom. Kabbalistically, the 50th gate of wisdom is connected to Malchut, kingship, which in the 10 Sfirot, emanations, is the vessel that manifests the light of Keter, crown. God's infinite light originates at a level that is beyond this world, physically inaccessible to us, but it's filtered down through the Sfirot until it reaches Malchut, out of which it shines onto us in our finite world. To understand the significance and the process of these 50 days from Pesach to Shavuot, we need to understand that there are 49 gates of impurity, descending levels of sin, in direct opposition to the 50 gates of wisdom. The Kabbalah teaches that while in Egypt, the Jews descended to the 49th gate of impurity, and it took 49 days for our ancestors to travel from Egypt to Mount Sinai to be prepared to receive God's divine revelation. Through the counting of the Omer, we have the opportunity to move through our own 49 gates of understanding and holiness, step by step, day by day. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov taught that the 49 gates correspond to the 49 letters that make up the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Each tribe, therefore, has individual gates for its members, so everyone can return to Hashem through their own personalized pathway. Shavuot, receiving the Torah, is the 50th and highest gate, the full teshuvah, the complete return to Hashem. Rabbi Nachman always stressed the power of saying Tehillim, Psalms, in order to perform Teshuvah, a return to Hashem. And the 49 days between Pesach and Shavuot are the most powerful time to recite Tehillim. 
This lesson is reinforced when we learn from the following Pasuk verse related to the Jewish people's exile in Egypt. These are the names of the children of Israel who went down to Egypt, each man and his wife they came. In Hebrew, the last letter of these lines make up the words Tehillim and Teshuvah. The verses that follow this one list the names of the 12 tribes. There are 49 letters which correspond to the 49 days of Sphira, which correspond to the 49 gates of Teshuvah. Rab Natan of Breslov teaches that the daily obstacles that we encounter are in direct proportion to the spiritual levels of wisdom that we seek to achieve. The 50th gate of understanding is beyond us. It's not something we can achieve ourselves, but much like the 8th day and Shabbat, it will come to us as a gift from Hashem by the work that we do within the seven dimensions of space and time in the natural world. The root of each person's soul has a path. The power of Tehillim for the soul is that when one doesn't know how to reach the specific gate of repentance or return, reciting Tehillim brings that person's soul to the specific gate of repentance they need to enter. As we learn from Talmud Sota, man in this world is like a person traveling in the pitch dark night who does not know which path to take. Rabbeinu reminds us that if you think you are far, remember the words from Devarim. It is something that is very close to you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. On the 50th day of Exodus, God descended on Mount Sinai. This involved the concept regarding which Hashem said through the last prophet, Malachi, return to me and I will return to you. This is the return of Hashem, God himself, the 50th gate of return. The counting of Svirata Omer is meant to prepare us to receive the living Torah anew every Shavuot, and it's our preparation for the 50th gate, the gates of wisdom. All of this begins with Pesach, which in the Kutei Lachot is explained as Pesach, which means a talking mouth. This means that the only path to the upper levels of holiness is through speech, through tefillah, prayer the true speech of calling out to God. We do this by reading Tehillim and using speech to speak out and count each day. It's a time when we count and realize that each day is a new beginning, a new opportunity for change, for return, for oneness, and that each day does indeed count. The blessings that you receive correlate to the words that you speak. This is the power of the Omer, of counting out loud with the blessings of Svirata Omer. We cannot reach our ultimate destination in just one holiday. Indeed, Pesach and our Exodus was just the beginning. During the Omer, we continue our spiritual ascendant, working to bring ourselves closer to purity, intending to return to Hashem. And it's not until the 50th day, the day beyond the natural, that God returns to us and we receive the Torah, the ultimate revelation. In the days leading up to Pesach, followed by the days leading up to Shavuot, we read the Parshiot that detail the Korbanot, sacrifices, the ways in which we purify ourselves towards transcendence. Korban is connected to the word karov, or lit karev, which means to get closer. With the absence of the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple, and the altar today, it's forbidden to offer sacrifices. However, Chazal, our sages, tell us that prayers today are in place of the korbanot. In addition to asking Hashem for our needs, prayer is a time to focus on self-improvement. It's a time when we offer our animal soul to Hashem, refining our animalistic tendencies and submitting them to Hashem's will. Our most profound sacrifice is when we subdue and harness the overwhelming power of the evil inclination and manage to use that energy for good, for Hashem. As it's written in this parashah, You are to sanctify yourself and you shall become holy. The Khatam Sofer teaches that using the term the reflexive form of Kadesh, it's implied that even if one feels that we haven't attained any degree of sanctity, we should still act as though we are already Kadosh, we are already holy. And to perform a mitzvot, that may not even feel aligned in your current spiritual state. By making this initial effort, even though a person may not be Kadosh, Hashem is assuring us, even in this case, that we will ultimately achieve true sanctity. As we learn in Talmud Yoma, if one tries to sanctify oneself below, even just a little bit, the person is helped to be sanctified much more from above. 
both in this world and the world to come. Sanctify a little from below refers to our mitzvot in physicality, while sanctify much more from above refers to the next world, tied to the soul. So taking the initial step of Behid Kiddashnem, acting as Kadosh, as holy, is the stepping stone to attain true Kedusha, for holiness' sake or any other sake, which will ultimately lead one to perform the mitzvot for their own sake, leading to a sincere Kedusha. This is a great example of the lesson we learn in Talmud Pesachim, mitoch shelo lishma ba lishma, which means even a mitzvah performed with ulterior motives garners reward. As Rav Yehuda said that Rava said, a person should always engage in Torah study and performance of mitzvot, even if he does not do so for its own sake, as through the performance of the mitzvot, not for their own sake, one gains understanding and comes to perform them for their own sake. The act of giving itself will eventually change the way one feels about giving. As I mentioned before, if our heart compels us to want to hold on and not let go, it's the act of giving and letting go that we must master. And by way of this, we sanctify ourselves and each other. This is when we shift the focus from physicality to spirituality, when our alignment isn't led by the mind, but by the soul. The biggest takeaway from this parasha for me is that when we elevate our soul above our body, aligning our physical selves to our spiritual selves, we can transform our natural space into a supernatural setting. Chag Kasher V'Sameach.